Well, welcome to another edition of the Shoulder Tap Conversation. Glad you're able to join us. And uh, we've got a new uh, new intro going on here. So appreciate you joining us today. Um, if you remember this podcast, uh, has recently been known as the Intentional Conversation with Mike Salmon. But here recently, God has kind of moved us to change the format of this of this um, podcast, and we call it the shoulder tap. Let me explain before we really get into the call today about why we call it shoulder tap. You know, every one of us has probably had somebody come and tap us on the shoulder or just uh, intentionally come up and start a conversation with us. And after that conversation or events that may have may have led up after the conversation has had a significant impact on your life. And that's the reason why we're calling this the shoulder tap, because we want to talk to people and we want to interview people in ministry and, and hear about their shoulder tap situations where people had a significant impact on their lives to encourage you and encourage you to not only uh, listen to people who may come up and talk to you, but also to encourage you to go and tap someone on the shoulder and have a significant impact on their lives. Well, today we got an old friend on, on the call with us, Mike Rivera of Building Brothers, and uh, he's uh, he's been on the call a number of times with us. And uh, Mike and I, we always I always enjoy having you on, Mike. We have some great conversations, don't we? Yes, we do, man. It's, it's a joy to be here with you. Yeah, super. And and Mike has recently moved. If you remember um, in previous uh, times he's been on, he was living up in the New England area, Massachusetts in particular. But now he has moved to where, Mike? Springfield, Missouri. I'm in the Which Midwest. <laughs> oh, my gracious. They're taking, take, taking a boy out of the out of the Bronx because you used to live down in that area, didn't you? Oh, in the South Bronx, born and raised. Yeah. Yeah, and taking him to the Midwest. That's got to be a strange thing. <laughs> oh, man, it is. It is strange. And today we're experiencing 102 degrees. Oh, my gracious, 102. Well, it's not that hot where I'm at. So yeah. it has been. It's been kind of warm, but it's not that hot today. So, but anyway, so, Mike, um, tell me your favorite verse. What is your favorite Bible verse? My favorite Bible verse is found out of the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, which says, uh, Paul addressing to the uh, the Galatian church, it says, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith through the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm. That why, is that, why, is that so, why is that so special to you? Well, one, it gives me my identity. The way Paul started that, he says, I am crucified. And so uh -huh. it just says that there's some things that I need to die in order for me to live in Christ. My uh -huh. self-centeredness, selfishness, things that try to bring me down, my own self-desires need to be put aside, and that my identity is found only in Christ Jesus. So I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. And I have to come to realize that's the Christ that lives in me. And so if I come to that understanding with me, I came to that understanding that, listen, the things that I say, the things that I do affect uh, uh, the level of Christianity that I display in God's kingdom. You know, and so it's no longer right I live, man, but Christ that lives in me. And that's a challenge because, you oh, know, yeah. let me tell you, I, I, I so I call, I use uh, uh, a particular uh, um, 
food to describe the appetite for sin. Cheesecake. Mm-hmm. You know, and I said, man, that cheesecake tastes good. <laughs> it's not good for you. It's not good for you. And so, you know, uh, it helps me to understand that, hey, listen, I can't have the cheesecake. You know, I just can't. I just can't go back to it, you know, uh, because if I do, one, I disqualified myself from the race. And then mm-hmm. two, I, I, I discredit what Christ is really all about. And so mm-hmm. I have to come to an understanding in my own self that the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith. Mm-hmm. Through who? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I have to understand that he loved me, I live my life for him, and that my identity is only found. My masculinity, who I am as a man, is found in Christ Jesus alone. You know, you made a, you made a good point about your identity being found in Christ. Uh, you know, I, I discovered that uh, a lot of men don't know their identity. Mm. And, and they they struggle with that. What do you uh, is that something that maybe uh, uh, you dealt with before you came to Christ? Well, uh, yeah, I did come into the Lord uh, uh, forty five years ago. Um, uh, I had to struggle because I didn't know who I was. Yeah. You know, I'm a kid in the Bronx. Uh, uh, my identity is found in my neighborhood and the things that I saw involved with drugs and all kinds of stuff that I shouldn't have been involved in at a very early age. Um, I, I had no purpose other than you wake up in the morning and you do what you do, what you know how to do in the neighborhood. You know, right. you got high, you hang out, you did stupid stuff. And then that was it. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and then, and then, you know, I graduated high school by threatening my teacher. And then I thought, you know, if I have my diploma, Oh, I'm going to get a job. I didn't know, have no study discipline. I had a very difficult time. Mike, and this is something that I, I'm always challenging, my, challenging myself with. I have a very difficult time in comprehending and in writing. I couldn't read, you know, until I came to know Jesus. Mm. Uh, and so I, I, I just, it was just tough for, for this kid who lived in the Bronx. And, and, uh, and so when I came to know Christ, my life completely was changed, uh, both psychologically, emotionally, and I've got to learn who I am in Christ. Yeah. One of the biggest, one of the biggest issues that I found, and I found this when I moved out of the Bronx into Boston, was it every during this time. This is uh, August. Yeah, during this time they have uh, the, what they call the cultural festivals, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and so they have uh, the Caribbeans, they have uh, the other ones, and then there's one called the Puerto Rican festival. And so some of my guys says, "Hey man, how come you don't come out to the Puerto Rican?" Festival. I said, because that day I surrendered to Christ. I said, what do you mean, man? You're Puerto Rican. No, no, no. I'm a Christian who happens to be a Puerto Rican. Yeah, you know? And that yeah. Sunday belongs to my Lord. It doesn't mean yeah. it doesn't belong for me being out in the street looking at everybody just marching around. I'm proud. I, I, I can't help but being a Puerto Rican because I was born this way. I was born right. into the culture. However, right. my identity is not found in my culture. My identity is found in Christ. You Amen. know? And, and I think that's what most men struggle with is they don't know who they are because they find their identity in a in their job. Oh, yeah. Or purpose or something like that. And, and, and says, dude, you know, what you do is not who you are. Yeah. You know, I hear so many I hear so many men talk about that, especially when I was in the corporate world. When I was when I was uh, working in the industry, so to speak, I, I, I heard so many men, men talk about 
the fact that what they do at that corporate world is to provide for their children. And, and that's true, but they think that because of that, they had to be there all the time. And so their identity was found in their position with the company. And, yeah. and that's who they are. But, um, but it's not, you know, they're, they're, it's a, it's a false identity that they're, they're living towards. Well, well Mike, I, let me ask you, go ahead. I, I think, I think that there's the, the, a misunderstanding between purpose and identity. You're absolutely right. God has given us a purpose. God gave yep. Adam a purpose. What was his purpose? Take care of the garden, yep. you know, but that wasn't his identity. Yeah. You know, that was his purpose. It's things to do that God's given us as a purpose for identity, who I am, my uh, who I am internally and psychologically, emotionally. I am a servant of the most high God. Of the living God. God. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's given you a task to do and he's given you a job to do. And part of that task, if you're married, is to take care of that bride of yours. And if you have children, to be the dad to those children Absolutely. that they need to have in their lives. And, uh, and there's so many men, so many men that have spent all their lives doing the things that they think they need to do. And then when their family uh, walks away from them because of uh, his lack of attention to them, he doesn't understand it because I gave them everything I want. And mm -hmm. what they failed to realize is, no, you didn't, because what they really wanted was you. Yeah. And, uh, and you didn't give them you. Yeah. So that's so that's it. Well, Michael, for you to come to Christ, somebody had to uh, tap you on the shoulder. Somebody had to speak into your life. It had a dramatic effect yeah. on that. Tell us about that. Oh, God. Uh, man. I know that was probably 40, 45 years ago. 45 but, uh, years ago. 45 <laughs> years ago. And I and I and I, I man, I think of that number. I go, wow, 45 years ago. Man, that's two decades or two and a half. I mean. Gee, that's a long time ago, you know. Forty-five years ago, uh, I I wound up in a living room in my uncle's house in California. Mm. He knew the Lord, and uh, I was stoned like crazy. You know, I my I didn't get to know my dad until I was eighteen, and then at twenty-three is actually when I came to know Jesus. Uh, uh, but at eighteen, my uncle uh, tried to introduce me to the Lord, and I didn't want to deal with it. At twenty-three. Uh, I go back to California to hang out with my dad just to get to know him even more. Uh, and I, I wound up at my uncle's house, who I love. This guy is fun to be with and so forth. But I was, you know, I didn't want to hear about religious. I didn't want to hear about Jesus. I just want to hang out with him, you know. And so, but I was high at the same time, you know. And uh, so he sits down, Mike, from 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock talking to me about Jesus. And this is at p.m., and I'm sitting there listening to him. He pulled out this thing called the Panorama Bible Study, but it, it's about this long. And then when you open it up, it's about this long. It's the entire Bible in picture story, you know, oh my gracious. and so forth. And then scriptures, he's showing me the scriptures and showing me about Christ and so forth and the end times. And I'm listening to him and I'm saying to myself, this man is blowing my high, He's, you know, and so forth. But in between his stories, he kept telling me, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. And, and my hunger for a father was important to me because uh -huh. I wasn't raised by my dad. And yet my dad wanted me to treat him like a dad. And I, I was just getting to know him. You know, he left me when I was five. I met him for the first time at 18, you know, and now I'm 23. So it was tough, you know, but there was a deep hunger inside of me. 
So that kept ringing in the back of my head. I love you. I love you. You know? And so I'm like, man, well, how can I shut this man up? You know? <laughs> I just blow my head. I want to hang out with him. It's already late, man. You know? And, and so but I missed out my opportunities to get even more a smoke and a joint or anything like that out in the street. So, but my head was being blown anyhow. So he said, hey, Mike, would you let me pray with you? Would you like to accept Christ as Lord and Savior? So when I heard the word prayer, I said, sure, man. You say a couple of words, you say amen, and that was it. You know? Yeah, the conversation will be over then, right? And that's it. That's it. Man. Shut up, you know? I'm talking. So he put his arms over me. He begins to pray. Mike, that was the changing point of my life. When I repeated the prayer after him, and then he began to pray for me, tears rolling down my face. You know? I mean, it was just gushing, snot-wrenching tears, you know? And, I, and I'm like, I'm freaking out. I said, what's going on with me? What's happening with me? I grabbed him by the shirt. And right there next to me, I grabbed him. What did you do to me? Did you put a heebie-jeebie on me? You know? And he's looking at me and he's smiling. One of those Puerto Rican curses, huh? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's smiling. He's laughing, you know, and so forth. And I pushed him away and I ran out the house like I know where I'm going. And I don't know nothing about California. And I'm looking to the left, to the right. I just sat in this porch and wept and wept. He comes out still smiling, still laughing. I said, what are you laughing at? What are you smiling at? I don't know what you did to me. Uh, and I felt a burden lifted from me, just completely lightweight, but I was still in tears, you know, not knowing the experience that I had. And he says, Mike, you just experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He, Amen. Then, this is what he, I'll never forget this, Mike. He said this to me. I've never seen darkness leave a man the way it left you. Oh. My life was completely changed. I've never lost the fire of God uh, from that day on. I, well, let me I, ask you I'm this. Had, had, yeah, did, did you have any church experience? Have you been to church? Or have you... Any of that? Only the Catholic church kind of experience. That's it. Yeah. You know, but nothing. After I, I went home, uh, he gave me a Bible, my first. In fact, where uh, where's my Bibles here, man? Here, I hear it. Here, hold on, Mike. Hold on, Mike. I got my very first. I still hold my very first Bible, the Living Bible. You know, and my. I still, uncle, I still, I got a copy of that. I got down in my library too. Yeah, nineteen seventy eight. He mailed. Yep. He get me this, and yep. he says to my nephew and brother in the Lord Christ. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, may the Lord keep you and bless you. He says, may he do wonderful things in your life. He May he always guide you. Love, agape, your uncle, Bill. Was, I'll never forget this. This is my Bible. It's, it is, I mean, it is torn up on the inside. I wrote everything I could write. <laughs> I was eating this thing up. And then from there, I wound up uh, with a Scofield Bible. <laughs> From a living Bible to a Scofield Bible. Oh, that's a that's a big that's a big change. That's, that's a, big a big change, change you know. From a, that living, the, the, it's a paraphrase to a King James, you know. But yeah. but I was hungry, and he for for a year and a half before yeah. his passing, he would disciple me on the phone. Now there wow. was no cell phones at the time. No, no, not yeah, back in the seventies. AT and T was long distance. <laughs> Yeah, and, and for you young people, the only phones we had back then was those those things that had a rotary dial on it. You, there you, you go. Had to... there you go. I have one. 
I have one of those right here, you know. <laughs> this is it right here, you know. <laughs> yeah, you had to you had to put your finger in there and, and turn the thing, turn turn the dial around to different numbers. Yeah. That's right. And you couldn't speak to it unless you you if you dial zero, you can speak the operator, but that's it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was your Siri or your Google or whatever. Google how long how long did he do that? How long did he disciple you like that? A year and a half. Um, oh, wow. Over the phone, we read scripture. He would pray over me. He would tell me to look for a church, the kind of church that would disciple, a kind of church that you can grow, a kind of church where you hear God. He would uh, do that every once a week. We would do that, you know, because long distance was expensive at the yeah. time. You yeah. know, but we would spend a, 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 a forty-five minutes on the phone. And wow, over scripture, reading scripture, we would go over the book of John, the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, and Luke. We would he would do the New Testament first, and then he would go into the book of Genesis just a little bit because he didn't want to overwhelm me because I was just a, a, a babe. I, I didn't know I didn't know nothing about Bible. But my one of the most miracle things that happened to me was the the ability to comprehend, the ability to read when I couldn't know I didn't know how to read. All that happened on the day when I got saved. I, uh, the Bible helped me to read. The Bible helped me to comprehend. The Bible restored my thinking, my mind, my heart. The Bible did some powerful things in there. And then after his passing, I, I was so I said, who, who could I go to? Because I was looking for a church. And right. I wound up in a church in the South Bronx called Love Gospel Assembly, where the pastor, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this one. Someone told me about this man pouncing on the pulpit. He was a 52 portly, short man. 52 portly guys, if you don't know what that is, that's a heavy dude, <laughs> you know? And he will pounce and he had an afro and, uh, 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 and he sounds black, but he was Jewish, <laughs> you know? He was Jewish. So in the Bronx, pounding, oh, about Jesus and so forth, get your life right. And I go there. And I listened to this man, and I felt God speak to me and said, this is where I want you to grow. And I stayed there. And from that point on, the rest is history. You know, uh, uh, this man named Jerry Kaufman uh, discipled me, took me under his wing, and that began to disciple others right after Amen. that. You know, um, and then the passion for men's ministry came later on. You know, because remember, during the early, during the late 70s and 80s, there was no such things as men's ministry, you know. And I think who was the founder? Well, who, uh, Gene, Gene Getz, right? Wrote the book, Gene, The Measure of a Man. Gene Getz wrote the book, The Measure of a Man. Yep, he did. And that was the beginning of men's ministry with that book, yeah. Yeah. you know. And, yeah. and so that's what, that's what gave me the motivation of understanding what men's ministry was all about. Not yeah. clear, but it was just there, lingering. Yeah. You know, There's a lot of things, a lot of things has happened since then. In fact, uh, even you yourself have your own ministry called Building Brothers Men's Ministry, and that we see right there. And so, let's transition a little bit to that. Tell us what is Building Brothers all about? What is Building Brothers Men's Ministry all about? I mean, you were in Massachusetts when you began this ministry. Now you're in Missouri. Does that transpose? Does that transpose over to Missouri? I don't know, you... man, but I want to try. I want to try out here because uh, already well, what connected. With, What's building already connected with two guys already. But um, uh, some some time ago, about 20, 20 years, twenty three years ago, at being at my home church there in Brockton Assembly. Uh, they wanted me to run the men's ministry, and I was a hurting man at that time. I made right. some poor decisions in my life that brought 
to the place where I didn't want to have to do administry anymore or anything like that. And I, w- I wanted to hide in a church. And so I hid in this church. And this pastor, the senior pastor at that time, uh, we ate lunch, wanted to know what school I graduated from and so forth, asked me to help him build a men's ministry. And I said, no. And he goes, why? He says, I don't trust you and I don't trust anybody. <laughs> you know? And he goes, man, you've been hurt. Well, you I know, said, that's not so far from, from the truth for most men. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 I said, he goes, you've been hurt, man. I said, yeah, and I don't trust you guys. You know, the only one I trust right now is is me studying the scriptures and God. I don't trust man. You know, you guys, says, some of you guys don't know how to how to heal, don't know, know how to do anything other than talk about somebody else and kick him to the curb, you know? And he goes, wow, man. So he uh, met with me for a couple of weeks, and and uh, and I felt God to say, "Go ahead and do this." And I said, "I don't want to do this. I really don't, you know." And so I wound up doing it with him for a while. He says, "Mike, you don't have to be the leader or anything like that. Just help me develop it." And so I, you know, I helped him, and guess what happened? I wound up to be <laughs> of the whole thing. And God gave me a burden to see men that are hurting. I have found out within the ministry. That with men's ministry, there are several kinds of men in, in, in your groupings. One, men who want to grow. Yeah. Men who try to hide. Men who are hurting. And men who are lying. <laughs> you know? And so for in that group, and, and, and I had to learn how to deal with these kinds of men that were in there. And so uh, I grew, and I wound up, gee, Mike, uh, in an empath. After 10 years of doing this, of that's all I was. It was event-orientated. So I had men's breakfasts, and I had all kinds of bowling and activities for men. We even helped in the community with trees and brushes and things like that. But it wasn't discipling. It wasn't doing anything to these guys. You know, it was just meeting together, high five, and that was it. And then we went home. That's what that most men's ministries are. That's what yeah, a lot of men's ministries are. And, 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 and I, in my in my living room, I wept and I said, God, I, I need your help. I don't understand this. I, I don't understand what I'm doing. You know, I, I'm in, I see iron sharpens iron. I'm being challenged with this. I, how do I do this, Lord? You know, and I said, Lord, if you give me, give me four guys, perhaps that love men. Perhaps we can change some things. And the Lord says, I'll give you four guys, but first you need to learn what it is to disciple. And then he brought me back to my to my uncle who took time out with me. Right. Individually. He brought me back to my senior pastor who took time out with me. Then I went back to scripture and says, Man, why are we doing this backwards? Jesus hung out with his folks, man. He knew their, he knew their kids, he knew their mother-in-laws, he knew everything about it. He hung out, he ate with them. You know, he probably slept. I'm not going to sleep in anybody else's house, but he probably did. You know, he slept with them. You know, he even, I, I can almost feel that he even fished with them, you know? Right. And right. so, and, and, and this level of intimacy uh, came about and I said, Lord, I'll do it if you give me these four guys like this. Four guys came. Uh, and a missionary, uh, a missionary came and spoke about how she, uh, uh, in, in the field, her husband ran off um, um, with, with somebody else and also got involved with pornography and left her in the mission field all by herself. 
Right. You know, and she talked about how men struggle with the era of pornography and so forth and so on. And the men came up to the altar. And these four guys came to me and said, Mike, I want to ask you a question. What's that? Can we help you in men's ministry? We want to be part of it. I said, what? You know, and they said, yeah, yeah. And it says, you guys feel that way? It says, yeah, all right. Then for the next six months, I want you to meet with me once a week. We'll go over coffee and just hang out. We did that. Building Brothers was birth. That's the part of building one another and building brothers and walking a journey with them, you know, and tapping on their shoulder, so to speak, and saying, tell me what your story is. Tell me how God did this in your life. Tell me how's your marriage. Tell me how's your relationship with your kids. And it grew uh, uh, to, to what it is today in Brockton Assembly of God, in Brockton, Massachusetts, Building Brothers, where they are about to do in September a summit called Brotherhood Summit and challenging other ministries of the idea of looking for your brother's back, looking looking at his six, looking, you know, making sure that he's following Christ, making sure that he's doing the right things and things of that nature and being accountable, you know, in that sense. I'm not talking about being Lord or overbearing. I'm talking about a brother that you can count on, that you can call at two o'clock in the morning, Amen. you know, and trust him. And, and create an atmosphere of trust where he can talk to you and say, listen, bro, I, I did this last night, man, and I messed up, yeah, man, you know, and uh, um, I don't know what to do. Well, let's come on. Let's let's start walking this journey. I'm dealing with a guy right now who called me a couple of days ago in Brockton, and, and I directed him to the new guy who took over my, my spot that I trained. Um, but he called me, Mike, uh, this is a father of six kids. He has a newborn, the newborn girl, and found out that his wife is having an affair. Mm. He's broken. I bet he is. I discipled this young man for 10 years, and he called me up and goes, I don't want to follow Christ. I want to go kill this guy. I said, oh, gee. You know? And so we began talking on the phone, counseling him on the phone. I directed him to the, the, to the group of guys at Brockton Assembly, and I said, this is what you need, dude. You're losing focus, you know, and so forth. And you need to receive counseling, and your wife does too. This is a couple that I, I would never expect, but the enemy is attacking homes, and the enemy is attacking marriages, you know. And um, Absolutely. But, but this is a part of what Building Brothers is all about, I, that a guy can call you and say, hey, man, this is what's going on in my life, bro. I'm about to kill somebody. I'm losing faith in God. Wow. He was that open to me. So I, and this is what Building Brothers is all about. And I think, Mike, this is what we should be doing within the body of Christ anyway. Whether we call it Building Brothers Ministry or whatever you're calling it, it should be men helping other men in their journey and impacting their lives. And Amen. at the end result should be the cross. Amen. Amen. That, that is so true. And we need more men who are stepping up. You know, Jesus, when he sent his disciples out, he didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out by twos. And so we need to have other men. You know, what too long ago, I had a gentleman reach out to me and wanted me to, <clears throat> wanted me to uh, mentor him. So I met with him just to get to know him and see what it's all about. And, and long story short, it ended up in, after, after a few talks, he said, you know, I think I'll do this on my own. And, and, and I'm like, dude, you cannot do this on your own. Scripture is very clear on that. You, you cannot do this on your own. Uh, you need somebody in your life. Maybe it's not me, 
but you need somebody in your life. So we need to help our men to understand the importance of having another man in your life. Well, Michael, we're going to, we're kind of wrapping up here. We got to kind of close things out here. And I want to let people know that if they want to know more about building brothers, they can go find you on Facebook. Can't they? They can find me on Facebook. I don't have a web page or anything like that, but they can also call me up and, or, or email me uh, at Mike Joss, J-O-C-E, the number 30 at gmail.com. Mike Joss, J-O-C-E, uh, the number 30 at gmail.com. And, you know, you want to discuss about building brothers or, hey, about anything, you can call me up and we can talk about that. Mike, I think that's something that we have in common that when we talked about, you said that Jesus didn't send out his disciples one by one. He sent them two by two. And I think the importance of sending them two by two is out of that scripture that you and I love so much out of Ecclesiastes. You know, two are better than one, you know, Uh, because they have a better return. Because if one falls, you have someone there to pick you up. But then the warning, right, Mike? The warning. There is that warning. Yeah, that warning. If you fall... I have no one there. So, man, you can't be by yourself. You can't do this no. on your own. No. There's no way, you no. know? In fact, so, so, like Solomon wrote, that what he, the way he said it, when he wrote that, he said, pity the man who doesn't have someone to lift him up. Pity. And yeah. uh, that's 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 pretty dramatic, if you ask me, in that respect. Yeah. Mike, thanks for, just, thanks for being with us today. Hey, yeah. man. Thanks I, for I, being I, with I, us today. I appreciate sure. that. You're and well, if, thank uh, you for if y'all are if y'all are interested in knowing more about Cake for Your Men and what we do, you can go to cakeforyourmen.net, the website, or you can email me at mike.salon at cakeforyourmen.net.